show starts in 
with a top 16, a regional host. And Carolina, of course, can host the Super Regional if they win theirs in Florida, whom they're paired with, loses their regional down in Gainesville. But that's down the road. So Carolina's in. Uh, I think, personally, they've got a tough draw. I, I think they're the only team in the field that has a two seed that probably deserved a regional. I don't think Indiana State deserved a regional over Campbell, but they got it. Uh, and uh, so now the Camels will come here looking to prove what they're worth. And uh, they'll get another chance to pretty much own the Tar Heel State with a win over another in-state opponent in NC State this weekend. They've beaten those guys all year. North Carolina, App State, East Carolina, check, 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 check. And uh, they're going to look to to do it again on Friday. So uh, with that said, guys, uh, postseason baseball, I mean, Columbia, South Carolina is one of the great homes of this tournament. It has been for a long time. And it's great to see the Gamecocks back hosting this weekend. Yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I, uh, I understand it's not a walk in the park type of draw. I'll be honest. Uh, I'll take this over what Clemson got uh, as the four seed. Yeah, um, having to play a team like Tennessee and Charlotte, we all know Charlotte's a scrappy, cocky little bunch and uh, all that. You know, Lipscomb's not that bad as a four. Uh, looking at what they got, I, I'll take what South Carolina got over that any day and twice on Sunday. I mean, there could have been uh, some I – mean, it's fortunate because they're not going to send another SEC team to a regional to play you. <laughs> That's part of the, the great thing about being in this league. But, my God, Tennessee, the way they played the last month of the season, I mean, they were as good as anybody in the conference and uh, swept the SEC tournament champs, Vandy. Uh, I, I – I would be – if I were a Tiger fan, administrator, coach, whatever, I'd be like, come on, you got to be kidding me about this. <laughs> uh, but, um, I mean, because, I mean, Clemson didn't do anything to, to deserve that. I mean, they won the – they marched through the ACC tournament and won it. And I just uh, – man. <laughs> but, uh, look, Campbell's good. They have some quality wins this year. Are they as talented as the Gamecocks? No. Um, have they faced an environment like this in South Carolina? No. Um, I, I think that they'll come in with a little bit of a chip on their shoulder because they probably thought they deserved to host. But uh, look, I, you know, this is a regional the Gamecocks should win, and I think they will. I, I don't, uh, I don't see any reason why. You know, unlike kind of the old Dominion Virginia year where you're like, man, even Virginia at a three. Uh, that's tough. Uh, Old Dominion uh, was one of the better teams in the country. They just couldn't host. Um, you know, that was a pretty tough draw. I, I don't think this one's quite that tough. I think, uh, you know, NC State's a team that snuck in the tournament late. Uh, certainly their program speaks for itself. They went to Omaha a couple of years ago, uh, and they're back in the tournament. You, you, they are dangerous. Campbell's dangerous. But, you know, so is South Carolina. I think uh, – you know, obviously the injuries, um, getting Cole Messina back, I think, is uh, going to be priority number one. It does sound encouraging from the latest Kingston yeah. update. Yeah, um, and it looks like Wimmer's going to be back at shortstop, too. So South Carolina, uh, they should win this regional. I, I, you know, people, there was some absurd takes on the Big Spur today, like they could easily go two and barbecue. I mean, like, look, it's been a bad stretch, <clears throat> and – but, but think about this, the you know, people may say, well, they lost to North Florida and Charlotte. Well, those were midweek games. That, that sets up a lot differently than playing a Central Connecticut State on a Friday night in a regional. You know, 
the other losses South Carolina has endured down the stretch have been to really good baseball teams, mm-hmm. uh, starting with Arkansas at Arkansas. Well, that's two or three. Um, you know, Kentucky's a regional host. Tennessee, I mentioned them earlier. Uh, LSU, obviously, is a really good baseball team. And Texas A&M went all the way to the what, the finals of the SEC tournament. Uh, so that's another pretty good baseball team. You know, and I know you're in the SEC. Okay, no excuses. You need to beat good teams. But it's not like South Carolina has, you know, just been going out there and, and, and losing to teams that had no business losing to, like IE Georgia. You know, they went out and jumped and took care of business against Georgia uh, in a weekend setting. I do understand the midweek games went the other way, but people have to understand you're saving your pitching, et cetera, et cetera, uh, in those types of scenarios. You won't be doing that, um, at least not from a uh, midweek. They're not going to roll out a midweek starter against Central Connecticut uh, and gamble that game. You know, now will Mahoney start? I don't know. I don't think so. Uh, I think it probably will be Eli. Uh, Jones starting that game, but, uh, you know, maybe not, maybe I, I, I would be surprised if it were Becker, but, uh, you know, then you got Will Sanders coming out of the pen this weekend. He's back. So look, I mean, it, it sets up pretty well for the Gamecocks to win this one beyond that. I don't know, you know, what goes around comes around in this sport and in sports in general. And every time South Carolina has played Florida with something postseason on the line in any sport lately, the Gamecocks have won, starting with the 2010 football game at the Swamp, uh, the uh, 2011 National Championship Series in Omaha, and then, of course, the Elite Eight Ben's basketball game at Madison Square Garden. The Gamecocks have owned them in big situations. Uh, you know, Florida did win in 2000 uh, to go to the – if Carolina had won that football game in 2000, they would have gone to the Georgia Dome under Holtz. Um, Florida did win the SEC at Founders Park in 2010 in baseball. And Florida, and then I guess it was 06, one of their national championship teams, Gamecocks had beat them twice. Gamecocks got all the way to the SEC men's basketball final, dropped a two-point decision to the Gators. So it's not universal, but you kind of get that feeling. I mean, like Florida, Florida's a better venue to have to go to than Arkansas. But you still kind of think, my gosh, you know, they're probably due against South Carolina. And that's not to mention the Gamecocks swept them and made them look bad uh, earlier this season. So um, kind of pulling – obviously, everybody should pull for the upset. Uh, one thing I will say about O'Sullivan in Florida, they will they will drop a they'll, – they'll get knocked out of a regional in a heart. I mean, they, they've done it before. You know, it's not like they're this uh, uh, Ray Tanner era, South Carolina tough postseason team. They've, they've screwed it up before. Uh, but uh, I think that when you look beyond this, and I'm not counting it yet, um, but you look beyond, beyond this, there, there's probably probably be some teams you'd rather play than Florida uh, in that scenario. But uh, all in all, I believe, um, to be honest, you know, Carolina could not have asked for a better selection sun- Monday. Uh, hosting, uh, they have a manageable regional. It's tough, but they all are. I, but I think it's against some manageable teams that the Gamecocks match up with pretty well. Um, and you go from there. So pretty, pretty good outcome considering, you know, last week it was all doom and gloom. Well, you know, look, I'll say this before we, before we even remotely close to start thinking about Florida, I can tell you right now, and this is not just, uh, this ain't just, you know, uh, let, let's Lou Holtz scare everybody to death. Friday night's going to be a challenge for South Carolina. They're going to see Dominic Neiman. He's a lefty. He's thrown 97 innings this year. Uh, he is 12 and two. And while everybody is going to quickly discount and 
eliminate that conversation because he pitches for Central Connecticut State in the Northeast Conference. Um, traditionally, crafty lefties give South Carolina a very difficult time. Okay, uh, and I see some questions in the Nana Sports chat box of well, what do you do with this guy and that guy? Wimmer's back. First of all, you're not going to move Wimmer off short. If he can play, he's playing there. He's not playing second. He's not going to play third. They'll play him at short. And they'll move Braswell. They'll figure it out. Um, they'll also probably go game to game. I don't know what the splits are against this kid, lefties and righties. But if he's uh, if lefties don't swing it well against him, they'll probably find a way to move Brewer out of the lineup. And, and now that Wimmer can play out there, they'll probably try to find a way to alter things a little bit. Uh, to where they can get more of a right-handed lineup in the game via Will Tippett, Lee Croy, Wimmer, Braswell, that type of stuff. Um, also, with that said, 14 starts on the year for this kid, okay? You know what his record is? 12-2, and two, which means he's qualified for a decision in every single start. And here is the real juice in this discussion about uh, Dominic Neiman, the lefty who will go against Carolina on Friday night. He pitched on May 25th in game one of the uh, Northeastern Conference Tournament. He beat Sacred Heart. Seven innings pitched, three hits, one earned, 116 pitches, 74 strikes. They threw him in the championship game three days later on two days rest, May 28th, complete game. Nine innings pitched, five hits, two earned, 115 more pitches, and 87 strikes. So he took a little bit off of the velo, and he just really worked on pounding the zone and only gave up five hits and two earned. And throughout the season, he's been throwing strikes at about a 70, 71% clip. So he's a guy, he doesn't walk a lot of guys. Uh, he's going to pound the zone. You're going to have to have a very, very, very uh, mature approach on, on Friday night. These are the guys that beat the big dogs in the postseason. Okay. Like, I'm not trying to create a conversation that isn't necessary. I'm telling you, it wouldn't matter if it was Carolina or anybody else on Friday night. This guy is going to be a challenge, period, the end. So they got to focus on beating him. They're going to have to try to score some runs early if they can. If this kid's either got the lead late in the ball, I mean, they're going to let him go. I mean, he, he don't think that, well, he's at 90 pitches. No, 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 that doesn't concern these guys. If he needs to throw 130 pitches, he'll throw 130 pitches. But if he's got a late in the game, if it's a tie game, if it's a close game, they got a closer as well, the Garofalo kid who's got an ERA right around two. He's got 11 saves this year, and they extend him. So he can go three, he can go four, because you have to win game one. Like if you're Central Connecticut State especially, you have to win game one. They are your typical four seed where they have three or four strong arms, and then everybody else is very iffy. When you have five, six, seven ERAs in the Northeast Conference, you're generally not very good. Okay, so – uh, but you've got three or four guys that can go out and beat somebody. Now, they haven't really beaten anybody of note this year. South Carolina is certainly going to be their toughest test. They have a combined attendance at home in 21 games this year of 3,500 people. It's going to be well over twice that in one game. So under the lights on Friday night at Founders Park, there's a lot to put into that conversation. You know, They're going to walk out there and go, yeah, this is a little bit different for us. Uh, so that's certainly going to be a challenge for those guys. But this kid is good. He is good. And so I'll be anxious to see uh, what they do from a righty-lefty standpoint when it comes to the lineup. And as you pointed out, J.C., uh, what they'll do from a, from a pitching standpoint as it, as it goes against their lineup. I mean, they've only struck out 300 times, which is about six a game this year. So they put the ball in play, kind of your typical Northeastern team. They're not going to strike out a ton. Uh, they don't swipe a lot of bags, but, you know, they're just a solid offensive group. Um, so, you know, this will – this is – it's a four seed. You should always win the game. There's no question about that. But we have definitely seen four seed beat top seeds 
every year, essentially, in uh, in the tournament. And um, and this is one that can do it when you have one arm that can go out there and pitch like this kid can. That's the key uh, in the NCAA tournament. Pitching is everything, and, and that's a good – you make a lot of valid points. It is the type of pitcher the Gamecocks struggle with. Still, I, you know, I, I, I got to be locked in. I, you know, Wimber being back at short helps. Messina, if he's ready to roll, which hopefully he will be, I think that helps. I, I think the Gamecocks are getting healthier and all that. One thing they can't do is get up there and watch a bunch of strike threes. Um. No. I think that fr- I, and, and I think JB, you can speak to this as a baseball person. I think that frustrates the average fan more than maybe it does baseball people. Um, but it it does, uh, you know, it, with a guy like this, it's going to pound the zone. It's going to be an issue uh, if you, if you're if you're not taking your swings and uh, you know, you, trying to make contact and being aggressive. You just have to be disciplined. You just got to be disciplined. I mean, it, it, you know, it's 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 hitting one hundred and one. I mean, your your approach changes with with pitch and pitch count. I mean, you know, it's it's very simple. I don't know this kid inside and out. I'm not exactly sure what 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 his off speed does and doesn't do and things like that. That's that's why you pay these guys the big bucks. You know, that's for that's for Monty, that's for Coach King, that's for Scotty to get in a little room and figure it out. But I mean, it, but lefties who have 90 strikeouts in 97 innings that sounds like a lot. Of, but in today's game, it's not right. We we know what the strikeout numbers are today. So you know, you figure he's a he's an upper 80s, maybe hovering around. 90 crafty type kid who can probably throw two or three different pitches for strikes and probably in any, about any count. So, so what are you doing? What is your approach? Is your approach to go up there and just, just go hacking or is your approach to, to uh, hit it where it's pitched, you know? And, and I said, you know, Sean asked a good question. You know, if he pounds the zone, do you suggest ambushing the first, the first pitch? You know, I, I, I don't, no, I, I wouldn't necessarily say it like that. I would say that you're not going to have a power approach. Like you almost want to nickel and dime them. You know, you want to nickel and dime them. You, you you get up there, you know, one, two, 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 three, one, three, two, whatever it is. I don't know that that's going to matter with a kid like this who probably isn't scared to spin breaking balls at three and two or three and one or throw a throw a 2 change up and things of that nature. I just think you don't want to get yourself out. Um, th- obviously, you're not going to try to run up his pitch count because – He's done that all year. He's used to that. If he's at 80, 90 pitches after five innings, he's still got two or three innings left in him. So, I mean, you know, it's not necessarily something, you know, you just want to make sure you have a good approach against this guy where you can get on top early and score some runs and get him out of there. You know, if they look up in the fourth inning and they're down five, six, seven, nothing or something like that, you know, they're more prone to go ahead and concede the game because they clearly don't mind bringing this kid back you know, and be able to bring him back maybe on Sunday or on Monday if they happen to advance that far. So, you know, I just really think it's about approach, not getting yourself out, being disciplined and uh, and putting the ball in play and and good things will happen, you know, and, and a ball or two will probably leave the yard, but but that's not really what it's about against a kid like this. You, you just want to make sure that you're not letting him, as you pointed out just a little while ago, Oh one, oh two, and all of a sudden here you are battling down oh two. You know you want to make sure that you go up there, just see it and hit it where it's pitched, and and you're not necessarily looking for one perfect pitch because you probably aren't going to get many of those this weekend against a kid like this. Um, it is eleven twenty three, so I know John Whittle is probably uh, running up our tab as we speak. Uh, we have to pay him for every minute that we're late, so we'll hit a timeout. 
We are painted garnet and black by a couple of painters. LemmyPaintSomething.com. I did miss that earlier uh, in the chat box. Somebody asked, uh, would he would a couple of painters uh, be willing to go to Aiken to paint the outside of a home? Absolutely. They paint everywhere in the state of South Carolina and everywhere in the state of Georgia. That was Sean. Uh, and uh, matter of fact, they're not located too far from Aiken. Uh, that's a pretty quick drive. So uh, Tristan sometimes will pop in on our uh, on our chat box, but uh, you can go to LetMePaintSomething.com or just type in a couple of painters, LLC, on Facebook, send them a message, and they can quote you through taking pictures and videos and all that type of stuff. LetMePaintSomething.com. All right, John Whittle, he's got a lot on the regional this weekend. Up next, right here on Inside the Gamecocks, the show. Family vacations, a new car, a new boat, all cost money, but you don't necessarily have to make more to afford any of that if you can save cash that's flying out the window now. iHelp Consulting can help you finally get the kids to Disney World, upgrade the minivan, or drop that new boat in the water next summer. Let Daniel and iHelp Consulting consult with you. No fees, just savings. You pay them a percentage of those savings. Save on essential services, credit card fees, you name it. Let them find it. These folks are incredible. iHelpConsulting.com. How can I help you? Just as your State Farm agent combines good neighbor service with surprisingly great rates, you can combine your home, auto, life, or small business insurance with Tony Pope's State Farm Insurance today. And guess what you'll get? That's right, even more good neighbor service with surprisingly great rates. In fact, Tony Pope State Farm is your go-to agent anywhere in South Carolina, North Carolina, or Georgia for the service you deserve at the price you want. So try combining your home, life, auto, and or small business insurance today. Tony Pope State Farm has been in business for more than 30 years and can handle anything you need in the tri-state area. Once again, Tony Pope State Farm will help you mix and match perfectly. Call 843-851-2222 or visit TonyPope.com today. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. The real estate market has changed dramatically from just a year ago. Rates, supply, demand, all of your traditional factors are in a transition phase. That's why if you or someone you know are considering making a move in the low country, contact me, JB, at Coast to Coast Realty. I work with an outstanding support cast of attorneys, lenders, inspectors, insurance agents, and more, all of whom are valuable in helping find a way for you to comfortably make your real estate decision. That's right. Call me, JB, your low country real estate broadcaster. Building your dream home is often just that, a dream and sometimes a nightmare. But at the Barndo Company, they commit to quality and build without sacrifice. Customization, open floor plans, limitless flooring options, maintenance-free and easy installation perks, and affordability are just a few reasons why they've been named one of the best builders in the U.S. Believe in your dreams. Visit thebarndominiumco.com. That's thebarndominiumco.com. The Barndo Company. Gamecock-owned. Gamecock-operated. Traveling to cheer on the Gamecocks? Reserve your hotel stay with Fan Plans. Your booking supports inside the Gamecocks and the Big Spur, plus you still earn your hotel loyalty points. Visit fanplans.com slash inside the Gamecocks. What's up, Gamecock Nation? This is Ja'Kai Moore from the DMV, and you are listening to the show. Welcome back, everybody. And this is the Gamecocks of the show presented to you by Express 
No, it's not any longer. The first hour of the show was presented <laughs> to you by Cindy Searfoss and the Colwell Banker Kane Realty Team. Damn, I'd been doing so good, too. I was like, yeah, I didn't know. That's all right. But, Cindy, be happy to take your questions and calls about upstate residential real estate at 864-414-5271. Phil enjoyed his three-day weekend, and apparently it's carrying over into Tuesday. But we're joined now on the McKellar Enterprises guest line by none other than Mr. John Whittle, best in the game when it comes to baseball coverage from the Big Spur John, we were worrying and fretting so much over, you know, where are we going to get in a hosting situation? Where was was the team not? And uh, JB said it before. Apparently, it was kind of much ado about nothing in the eyes of the committee. What had happened over the past month? Yeah, I mean, I think it was good news for the Gamecocks that they went uh, uh, largely on RPI. Um, one one team got out of outside of the top sixteen got a. Uh, a host site and one team inside of it did not. So uh, South Carolina was in good RPI shape in the end, uh, finishing eighth, eighth overall. And they had a bunch of good wins over the course of the season in terms of against teams that were hosting regionals. And, you know, I think a couple of things like that, you know, tip the scales in favor of the Gamecocks. John, did you think Campbell got hosed? Do you think they should have got one over Indiana state? Uh, um, over Indiana State, probably, but yeah, you know it, the the fact that um, they had an opportunity to go to a, a different place like that, and their AD being on the committee, I'm certainly certain helped as well. Uh, but but yeah, I mean, I, I think Campbell was certainly a, a deserving host, but you know sometimes things shake out that way in the end. Well, Carolina got one. That's for sure. Uh, and uh, Central Connecticut State will be their first test on, on Friday night at uh, Founders Park. It's going to be a fun weekend at Founders Park. Somebody asked me earlier this morning, John, what do you think the, what do you think the vibe will be with the way they finish the season? I said, well, in 21, it was pretty, pretty special. Uh, so I think it will be once again this weekend, and, and they have a long history of, of electric environments, as I pointed out earlier, Central Connecticut State played in front of a total of 3,500 fans at their home ballpark this year in 21 games. So uh, they'll be in front of 8,000 on Friday night. Um, I any, believe it, it will be uh, 8242 is, eight, is what I think the total will be. 8,000. No matter what. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I agree with you. Yeah, That will be the announcement, that's for sure. I, I, John, honestly, I think it will be. I, I think it will be a sellout crowd. Um so it looks like some good news is happening for, for Carolina. I know you've been reporting on this. Um, I've done some digging of my own. It does appear they, they are going to get healthier by the time the first pitch is thrown on Friday evening. Can you fill us in? Yeah, I mean, it, it looks really good in terms of in terms of the health of, of the team. Getting Braylon Wimmer back at, at short will be uh, very good for the entirety of the infield defense, you know. I've I've been kind of on the on the Braylon Wimmer bandwagon at shortstop for for a long time now. Ever since seeing him play in the fall, and you know, I I can sometimes potentially come across as a little bit bit hard headed on, on that. But you know, when James Hicks and Ethan Petrie, you know, tell you yesterday that having Braylon Wimmer back is is huge for the defense. That he he's a leader and uh, of that team defensively. Like it it, it shows what how valued he is in that program at that spot. So I, I, I don't think that that can be understated. 
um, that that he that he'll be back there. And and you know, there's some options with what you can do in terms of Braswell and Tippett and Lacroix and and so forth. So you know, I do think that that's a big deal. Messina should be able to catch here on uh, on Friday. Should be. Uh, he's still got to pass some some finish going through the concussion protocols and so forth. But I feel pretty good about that right now. Okay. Um, knowing the John Whittle that I know, there's no chance it is Tuesday at 1130 and you haven't done your research on the lefty South Carolina is going to face Friday night against Central Connecticut State. So give me your thoughts on this young man and anything that you have discovered that stands out outside of the fact that he threw 231 pitches in four days this weekend in the NEC tournament. You know, it's, that's pretty incredible, and yeah. and you'll you'll see guys like that from from these smaller schools who who put that who put that kind of workload in, especially this time of the season, and you know, especially if maybe they don't have the the big pro career that that's coming up like like some guys do. So uh, that doesn't surprise me. Uh, he's not exactly a soft tossing lefty. He's not a big velocity guy. Uh, he'll he'll be upper eighties and is topped to, topped out at ninety one this year. So. You know, that's not, I mean, that's not overwhelming velocity, but, you know, they're not going to throw a, a, an 84-mile-an-hour junk baller out there either. So, um, you know, South Carolina has, has not been very good against lefties in, in SEC play. Uh, you know, if you look at their numbers overall for the, for the course of the season, um, they were very, very similar when it comes to facing right-handed and left-handed pitchers. But in SEC play, good lefties got them pretty good. So, uh, I I think that um, I, I think Nimmin can can pose some problems, and you know as I think you also mentioned, they got a really good arm coming out of the bullpen too. If uh, if 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 Nimmin can give them some quality work early in the game, how about offensively for the Blue Devils? What have you seen? You know, it's <laughs> they've got really good numbers, but man, I don't. They're the, the schedule they've played has been awful. Yeah, it's terrible. They, they played. They played four games against top fifty RPI teams, and one more in the top two hundred or top one fifty. Like that's five games in the top one fifty of the RPI, and everything else has just been against bad teams and against yeah. schools I've never heard of. <laughs> so, um, it is 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 really hard to judge. They they've been great against the level of competition that they've played. How much that's going to translate, I'm not sure. I mean, you look at – they played two games against LSU, and, you know, it was the first couple of weeks of the season. They haven't been outside. They're in Connecticut. They they haven't done much, but, you know, they lost – they lost um, – uh, what was it? I got it right here. 26 to 4 and 13 to nothing. Yeah. Um, both seven-inning games the, the first week of March. And I, I don't think that there's much that you can take from that based on the time of year that they were playing, but – they they just haven't been in 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 competitive ball games and you know so it's it's really hard to measure how how things are going to play out but i mean you you look at just some of the numbers that they've they've put up and you know their their numbers have have been pretty good uh from from you know some of their top guys and you know they they hit over 300 as a team you know they've got they've got either five or six guys who are hitting over, over 300 you know, on the year, uh, they they've hit some. They they haven't hit many home runs, but they don't they don't strike out a lot either. So, I, I don't know what to make of them. We'll, we'll see. But I, I do think there is something to the fact that you know they haven't played in a, a lot of a, a lot of big games over the course of the year. Well, 
to your point, I was uh, I was talking to to Blake Cooper on the phone this morning, and we were going over. We were going over. I had to go over the scouting reports with a real pitching coach, you know, Little, and uh, and I, I was going down their their schedule, and I said, "Who the hell is Stonehill? I've never even heard of Stonehill. I didn't know Stonehill was a college. Uh, I mean, I've heard of Merrimack and you know a couple other schools. I mean, I think the best test they had all year outside of LSU was Northeastern, but you can't, you just can't take a lot from midweek games." at that level, right? You know, right. you just you just don't know. I mean, you're going to you you have to go back and look at what they did in weekend series and those two arms are, are certainly the ones that the Garofalo kid and the the Nimmin kid are, are certainly what stands out. Okay, so for South Carolina though, uh, John, I I'm really I know that they're kind of in an, in a V eval period here, right? Because I it doesn't seem like King has his rotation set. I I kind of thought it was cut and dry last week, but it, but I was wrong apparently. Um, and it looks like they're going to probably shuffle the lineup based on who they're going to see. So, like, if, the, if you get this lefty on Friday, may, maybe try to plug another righty in there, uh, Whittle. Um, it, is there, like, a best lineup in your mind? Is there a best rotation in your mind as far as these decisions that need to be made? Should they just say, hey, look, these are the three guys we're going to ride with through the postseason and set that this weekend, or, or is this cautious – kind of game-to-game, almost matchup-to-matchup approach, something that might work? Well, from from a pitching standpoint, I I certainly get it. Like, I'm a proponent of if you've got your your rotation, you you throw them out in in that order, right? Like, you know, if if it were cut and dry at the start of the season like we thought it would be with Sanders, Hall, and Mahoney, then you, you roll with that. But, you know, there's been so much change and evolution over the course of the season nobody's really been in roles. So, I, I mean, I, I feel like you you go with your best matchups. And, you know, I haven't gotten um, in, to, to the point yet where, where I know exactly, you know, what to expect from, from each team and what these teams do well offensively to know what, you know, South Carolina's thinking in terms of what they want to do. But like you saw, James Hicks was a perfect matchup against Georgia. It was a, a right-handed heavy lineup. James Hicks's batting average against is about 60 points different when when going against righties versus lefties. So it made great sense to, you know, go with Hicks in that Georgia game, uh, whether he was the best option available or not. You know, if Central Connecticut State is 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 somebody has somebody along those lines and then or a lineup along those lines, it would make sense to go with him. You know, if Eli Jones is much better against lefties than he is righties. You know, if they got a lefty heavy lineup, you know, maybe you look at going with him. But I, I think matchups are going to play a, a big part in this regional. And with the way South Carolina's team has been set up this year, I think that that's probably the wise thing to do. And, I, you know, with with the lineup, I don't know what the best answer is, to, to be honest with you. I guess that's why Mark Kingston gets paid a lot more money than, than I do to coach baseball, which is, is uh, I get paid zero dollars to coach baseball. I just, I just write about it, but you know, he, uh, he's got, he's got some options and, and they're, they're very different in terms of, you know, what, what he, what, what can be done. I mean, Braswell played a lot of second base early in the year and, and that's what, or when Will McGillis went out and that's when South Carolina was playing his best baseball. I think Braswell's better at third base, but, 
you know, there was some magic going on in that team when he was playing at second too. So do you put him over at third, which is his better spot, or do you put him over at second where he's still good uh, and, and the team was winning more? Um, LaCroix was over there at third base, and, you know, he he's fine there. But, you know, do you want to go with your best defensive lineup, put Braswell at third, tip it at second, and let let uh, Lee Croy DH um, with with Carson Horning maybe DHing against against right-handed pitchers. So uh, there there are a lot of different things he can do. Uh, Kingston has been a guy over the over his entire career who who looks at the data and tries to find best matchups. And I've got no doubt that that's what's going to happen at least this weekend. So with I hear you. I'm with you. Um, Brewer Brewer is is a casualty right now in this lineup, John, and and I, and I hate saying that because I know he's a good kid and I know he's working his tail off. He just he just can't find it. Um, he just has not been able to find it. He's not the only one. I mean, Gavin Costa is a guy. He's got to get it going. You know, they can't they cannot achieve what they want to achieve in the postseason without your five hole hitter hitting like your five hole hitter. Um, you can't just keep slipping him down. Can't keep. I mean, you know, at some. I, I don't know what the answer is there, but I guess what I'm getting at here is if Wimmer plays short and you move Braswell to second and leave Talmadge in there at third, Tippett could you could play Tippett in left, right? Can you do that? You could. Um, I mean, he's he's still relatively new to the outfield in general, and he's been playing center, and the ball comes off the bat differently, as you know, out in left field, and have to make different reads and so forth. But it's certainly not an impossible position for him to play. But, you know, Brewer's a, a really, really good defensive out, outfielder in, in the corners. I, I don't think so much maybe in center, but I think he's really good in the corners is is what Tippett's going to give you offensively, um, you know, worth that uh, that what you would lose if Brewer comes off the field defensively. I, I'm not – a hundred percent sure. And, and Brewer's been a big part of, of a lot of wins this year. And, you know, it, I don't know that you don't try to wipe everybody's slate clean and say, you know, you're, you're j- just be, be ready to go. This is a new season and, and give Brewer at least that shot initially to, to go out there and try to turn things around for him. But, you know, I, it isn't lost on me that, you know, South Carolina's facing a tough lefty and, and Brewer has, has really struggled, period, but especially against lefties, he hadn't been close. No. So I, I, I'm not going to rule something like that out, but I, I also – that's not something that I've I've really heard of being a, a huge, huge topic of conversation at this point either. What's going on with Caleb Denny? Is he banged up? Uh, I mean, I, obviously I know he struggled. I get that. He started struggling when they moved him to the leadoff spot. Is he available? Is Is he a guy that they've – written off or what's going I, on? I'm, I'm not sure if he's available or not, to be honest with you. He wasn't in the SEC tournament. I don't know if he will be this week. You know, he was somebody who's just kind of been off the radar that I, I hadn't asked about because he's kind of pretty far off the pace in terms of, um, you know, being being in the lineup. So I, I'm not 100% sure, but I'll, I'll check on him. That's interesting. Um, will Sanders, John, certainly seems like he's coming out of the bullpen. And um, I, I'm anxious to see how he adjusts to that. I mean, it's not like he hasn't done it before, but but uh, he's been a starter. He came into the year as the ace, and, and now he's going to be asked to do something a little bit differently. Do you know anything about those conversations and how he's kind of absorbed that information? I can't imagine he would 
think that it would just be fair to just plug him right back into the starting rotation with the way that these other three guys have, have shouldered the load since he's departed that, that spot. Well, I can tell you that as we sit here right this second, he is, is uh, facing live hitters over at Founders Park. Um, they're, they're, they've got a little, little practice going on, and he's, he's uh, been up to 93 today. Uh, so he's, he's, he's been good. Um, but in terms of, in terms of his role, like he's got to accept what it is. Like there may be an opportunity for him to, to start down the road, but right now he's, he's going to be coming out of the bullpen. And, you know, I, I think that he had great success early in his career as a freshman in, in doing that. And he got a couple of wins against Clemson doing that, um, you know, and, and maybe his, his fastball will, will, will play up a little bit more. You know, I, I think it would, would uh, I mean, we, we saw in, in January that, that uh, Sanders in those short stints was, was up to 97 uh, with his, with his fastball and, and going in those short stints. So, you know, may, maybe that's something that can, can be useful for him, him uh, right, right now in, in terms of his role. Um, I, I'm with you in that, you know, he hasn't necessarily uh, been good enough to uh, walk right back into the weekend rotation. He needs to go out there and, and get some outs in a different way. And, and maybe this will be beneficial for him. I mean, he's certainly going to provide some much-needed innings. I don't, John. I don't think, uh, and I mean this very respectfully, because uh, I, I don't want this to come off as snooty. I don't know what it feels like either, because uh, I've never been a relief pitcher in college baseball. But I don't think a lot of people understand the the chain reaction when you have arms go down, and then you and then everything slides right. So you start to move guys around into roles that they haven't really been pitching in. And you're doing a lot of that late in the season against the best competition that they would have faced all year long. You see what I'm saying here? So Hall goes down, Sanders goes down, and then Eli's in the rotation, and then you plug you know Hicks in there. Well, so so now you've taken Eli and Hicks out of the spots that they've been in in the bullpen throughout the year, leaving how many innings a weekend up for grabs? Basically, what five, six, seven innings a weekend that need to be filled by other guys unless you're getting a bunch of complete games, which you're generally not. So so now you're sliding guys who are a little bit further down the list. Jerzenbeck's out. And then they're coming in and having to fill these roles. Is there, is there something to that and having to get these guys comfortable in, you know, almost new faces, new places type thing against the best competition in the country late in the season and, and then maybe trying to get that settled down as they enter postseason play now that they're kind of all a little bit more comfortable with what they're doing versus what they were doing? Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's something to that, and, and and for a lot of different reasons. I mean, you look at what um, South Carolina had to do at, at the end of the year, in, in terms of moving guys uh, around, and you know, you're you're stretching guys a little bit because um, you know they they were moved into new roles and faced Arkansas on a Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and then they played a condensed Tennessee series, um, and and then you know everybody was bumped up you know, a few days, a couple of days for, for the SEC tournament. And, you know, not only are they going into new roles, they're, they're pitching in roles on, on weird rest and at weird times and things that just are, are foreign to them. And, you know, I, I mean, you talk about the trickle-down effect. I mean, you see it in the midweek games. Like, yeah. you know, I've, I've, I've answered this and talked about it a, a couple of times. But, you know, when you look back at South Carolina's kind of slide to end of the season – 
you you look back and say, all right, well, when when did it start? What what changed? And you know, Brandon Wimmer came out of the lineup is it was a big deal. Like they were able to absorb some things, right? And but before he went out, but that was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back. Like putting him back in there at shortstop is going to be incredibly helpful. Well, South Carolina was great in midweek games. They lost one all year until until losing the last two. Well, what changed? Well, you lost five or six innings from the weekend on Sanders and you lost, you know, three, three innings in the midweek and a couple on the weekend from, from Eli Jerzenbeck. And, and those guys had to be replaced in, in those roles. So, you know, you move James Hicks into, into, uh, you know, a weekend starting spot or Eli Jones and they're having to do completely different things. And, and all of a sudden you're pitching guys in the midweek who haven't pitched all year. I had multiple comments on our big spur message boards. Who, who, who are these guys? what, well, they haven't pitched all year. Who I don't I, I don't know who Zach Zadalis is. Like you you you're throwing guys out there, and you know they're giving up runs, and and you know that's why things kind of changed a little bit at the end, and it, it was very much a trickle down effect, and and you know these guys will be better in the long run for for pitching some of these innings. I mean Eli Jones I think can be a Friday night starter next year for South Carolina. Uh, may, maybe later on the weekend, but a weekend starter for sure. And, you know, him getting these opportunities is going to be beneficial for him next year, and he's pitched well in them. But, you know, there's there's certainly a trickle-down effect too. All right, what are we missing? We missed anything? Uh, uh, Will's dog saying so, yeah, hello. Yeah, the, uh, the, the trash man's out, out there picking up stuff, so he's Drop that T-bone for me, pal. <laughs> red barks, when Red barks on Wednesdays, it's usually the trash guy and the, the long-cutting <laughs> guy. Red was uh, barking up a storm this morning when I was on 107.5, so he, he's uh, it must be dog on radio day today or something. <laughs> yeah, right. uh, John, from the, the chat box, Andrew asks, is there a reason Sanders lost his velocity? Uh, what can you say to that? Do you do, do you agree he lost his velocity? Um, that that sounds a, a little bit strong. Now he his four seam fastballs even during the season were were getting up there pretty good. Um, and when when you're when you're trying to throw six seven innings a hundred pitches, then you know you're not going to necessarily be going full bore like you are in in you know two inning stints. Uh, like like he was when I was referencing his his fastball velocity earlier, but I also think it certainly deserves to be mentioned that you know when Sanders isn't going real well, and I I think that we'd all agree that he didn't go real well for a lot this season. When he's not going real well, his his fastball flattens out, and you know your your four seam fastball is going to be a little bit flatter than than uh you know your two seamer and your two seamers got more movement but less velocity and you know he was throwing more two seamers which is why he was down you know in the 93 mile an hour range more so than than up in the 96 mile an hour range so you know i i think that certainly plays into it um you know he was dealing with the the leg leg deal a little bit you know over the course of the season which you know i i certainly would suspect is it was a little bit of an issue too. John, uh, the outside of this regional, what has stood out to you with the seedings that and the pairings that we got yesterday? Is there anything that that really popped? Do you have a weakest regional, toughest regional, any of that type of stuff? You know, there is is kind of. I'm I'm not a hot take person in general. Uh, and JC would tell you that uh, I'm just not a hot take person, but um, with 
with the way the selections were made and and who made it and where, how teams were seated, I thought it was pretty good. Like I didn't think that there were any any egregious mistakes or or anything like that. That's typically in my nature anyway. But I, I didn't I didn't see much that was just just completely shocking for me. Like um, I mean, I, I was a little bit surprised to see. Tennessee uh, gets sent to Clemson, but at the same time, I I don't know that Tennessee uh, was valued, you know, quite as much or quite as highly by the committee as as folks um, necessarily valued him out outside of them them outside the committee. I, I guess what I'm saying is I don't think they were as high of a two seed as a lot of folks thought that they would be. I think they were towards the, the bottom of of the two seeds, and you know, went to a a place that made sense and, and lined up because I, I think they were kind of in in that lower quadrant but they're not going to LSU they're not going to to Arkansas they're not going to Vanderbilt I mean where where else could you have put them there weren't a, a whole lot of places I don't think you're going to ship them out to, to to Stanford and you know I Indiana State was the place where where they uh, were projected by a lot of different folks but you know that that's being Go, going to a 16 seed or a 15 seed or, or whatever, those are for your strongest two seeds. And, and they weren't that uh, based on the, the body of the season. So, uh, you know, it, it made sense to me for, for them to go to Clemson. So I, I don't it, – it's certainly challenging. And Tennessee certainly has has one seed talent, but they don't have a they, – they got sent, in my opinion, to a place where their resume warrants um, on the balance of the season. So – you know, I, I think that's a big talking point for um, folks when they were when they're kind of analyzing regionals. But I, I thought it was I thought it was perfectly fair. Okay, I'll give you a hot take. I'll give everybody a hot take. Here it is. You ready? I'm ready. Write, write it down in pencil in case we have to erase it. <laughs> but I hope we don't. Troy wins the Tuscaloosa regional. Bama <laughs> turns around and hires my man Skyler Mead to be their next head coach. Wow! <laughs> wow! You know, I I exchanged a few texts with with Skyler last night, and I, yeah. I know they're really excited about about that. And, and um, you know, I, I'm I'm with you now. Now, uh, Troy has endured some injuries there too. Like yeah. they're they're undermanned right now, and it's going to be a real real challenge for them. But you know, they uh, they they get they also get some credit now for for their uh, attire yesterday at the. Uh, at their at their watch party with with all their shirts tucked in and denim jeans going on and you know they, they look like the boys of Troy over there as their their little hashtags so I'm not going to count them out for anything. Uh, yeah, if you can count on anything with Skyler, they're they're going to be well dressed. You know he he, he doesn't miss a he doesn't have bad dress days. Uh, he's he's particular with the hair. We we know how he works, but he has done an outstanding job and uh, very proud of him because he's a great guy. Uh, we, I didn't mention the job situation. I mean, Georgia's got an opening. Missouri has an opening. John, just your casual thoughts quickly here on, on what type of openings those are. You, you kind of feel like Georgia is a sleeping giant all the time. I remember they used to every odd year, it seemed like Georgia was making a run in college baseball for the longest time. Um, but you, you just wonder why they've never been able to been able to be consistent. Missouri constantly puts out great players. They got big players all over the big leagues, but um, but it's just it's a program that really really hasn't picked up much traction either. So uh, your thoughts on those two openings? It's going to be really difficult for Missouri to compete in in the SEC as long as they are 
um, so far behind in terms of commitment to the program and facilities and so forth. I mean, they just have to have a better commitment from the administration to to uh, support baseball. And, you know, until then, they're just going to be cycling through coaches. And, you know, I know Kendall Rogers said said something along those same lines, so it seems like I'm parroting him, but it's, it's obvious. It's, it's it's just completely obvious when you when you go out to that place and see what their commitment to baseball is compared to to all the other schools. Um, you know, Georgia, I'm with you. I mean, they they should. There's no reason that they shouldn't be a a consistent you know regional type of team and and not you know always floundering in, in the bottom three or four, just hoping that they they make it into um, make it into the SEC tournament, much less the NCAA tournament. I will say that. You know, the, the COVID year that got canceled, Strickland had a, a College World Series national championship contender type of team. And, you know, when that season uh, was canceled and, you know, those pitchers signed pro contracts and, you know, it was I – mean, I, I, I wonder – I just wonder how much that program would have changed if they had had that season to, to play with that roster in those games. But, um, you know, Alabama is, is certainly a, a – a, a, another great job out there that that can be better and more consistent than it has been too. Cause you know, I've been out to that stadium and it, it's, it's not a bad place. They, they do have yeah. some commitment to baseball as well. So, I mean, you got great, great jobs open, open and uh, you know, no shortage of, of candidates I'm sure for, for all of them. And Gary is a, a retiring at coastal as well after next season. Mm-hmm. Do you think, you know, is there any, any, chance that we hear some some popular names in our neck of the woods that come up for any of these jobs um not that i can think of right right off the top of my head i mean you know i know monty's name was thrown out there a little bit for for alabama but i just don't Ah. think things have gone well enough for for South Carolina and it's too recent for Clemson, you know, if South Carolina continued the pace it was on, you know, early on in or the first 40 games of the season with, with uh, not only the wins, but the offensive production, then, you know, maybe, maybe something would have come to fruition on, along those lines. But, you know, I, I think that um, I, I don't think anybody necessarily for with, with South Carolina connections is, is, is really, really on the verge of anything right now. From a at least from an SEC job standpoint, at least till they win the national championship. No, yeah, true. There you go. Changes <laughs> the outlook completely. Yeah. <laughs> so transfer portal open today. Uh, anything brewing? Anything going to be brewing? Uh, oh. I know you're. I know you're looking at it. So <laughs> I just I forgot to throw that out there. John, just tell us who's committing. Just go ahead. There, there's always something brewing. There's always. <laughs> Uh, Who's leaving? Who's coming? Today today was the first day that the the baseball portal opened for for kids who have not graduated. You know, there are a ton of folks in the portal who've already earned a degree, uh, but now anybody can jump in there, and it's it's starting to get hopping. So uh, there'll be some news out there, um, you know, before before too much longer in terms of of guys coming and going. Now, I don't think that South Carolina is going to have a lot of folks who, who are going, um, you know, I, I do think that uh, uh, the vast majority of, of folks here are, are quite happy with, with um, you know, their standing in the program and their, their playing time and, and that kind of thing. There, there may be some couple of guys who are a little bit lesser on the roster, but 
Um, you know, I, I can tell you that uh, there is one guy who who I'll be tracking out there that South Carolina I know is going to try to get, and uh, that's that's um, UNC Greensboro outfielder Kennedy Jones, who uh, first team all all Southern Conference player. He hits for average. He hits for power. He he he, he does it all. And you know that's somebody who everybody in the country is going to want, but somebody who South Carolina is is going to try to get get as well. So that's one name that I can throw out there for you to 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 look at. But you know th- things are going to get hopping, and you know it's uh, this time next week after after uh, what thirty two teams have been eliminated from. Is that right? No, somebody no. do the math. Yeah, whatever, whatever the map is, however many more teams get eliminated, there's going to be a bunch more good players about this time. Yeah, there you go. Appreciate that. Yeah, yeah when, when they when those guys hit the portal, uh, though, when those teams get eliminated, there's going to be some more guys hitting the portal. But but yeah, it, it'll uh, these next couple of weeks we're going to see a flurry of names, and South Carolina is going to be in the market for anywhere from eight to 10 guys, probably uh, depending on who may or may not come back. And, you know, they're going to, they've, they've got a lot more to sell this off season in terms of program standing than, than what they did last year. Last year, they were a sub 500 team and were able to get some, some really good players. And, you know, this year they're, you know, a, a top 16 seed and there's, there's going to be a better story to sell. It's a great time to remind all of you, CarolinaRiseMembers.com is where you'll want to go to. Uh, make sure that you are doing your part to bring guys like Kennedy Jones in to Columbia and to find a viable leadoff hitter uh, for the future of the baseball program. That, that is an obvious need right there is, is somebody who can bat leadoff. Uh, and another obvious need is left-handed pitching. So, Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, those players typically uh, typically require a few dollars. So, so you laugh, but it's a it's a it's a thing now. You know, the NIL is a is a is a thing in baseball, not so much as it is the other sports. But you know, it's a it's a differentiator in in, in some recruitments. John Whittle will be outside of uh, the gates in center field on Friday evening with a bucket. Anybody that has any extra cash, drop it in there uh, between the hours of 1 p.m. and 6 p.m. so you can get upstairs and cover the game at 7. Well, hopefully, right, hopefully I'll need a, a wheelbarrow instead of a bucket. But you know. <laughs> just, no, 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 just for hundos and $10,000 oh, okay. bills, right, Phil? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, checks. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's <laughs> one of those little clear. Venmo tags or, or whatever it is that people can yeah. stand. Yeah, just scan, right. yeah. right. scan the barcode, sir. Yeah, there you go. Put this up that's there, right. and, you know, wave it around and be like with an arrow down into your bucket. And that'll work. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think me standing out there waving around money might scare more people than with a, yeah, with a little bell. <laughs> Put a Santa hat on up uh, there. So I was going to say, yeah, you can do that, or you know, just dance on a wall. You got John. What kind of? <laughs> it's like Mickey's Christmas Carol. Penny for the poor. Penny for the poor. John's oh, going to wow. be the guy uh, that I usually pull the maneuver on coming coming to uh, like in and out of the. Just don't don't make something. eye contact. Yeah, they, they put put your phone up to your. Oh yeah, yeah, I got you. Uh huh. Uh huh. I got you. Yeah, yeah. And then you walk by and put it back in your pocket. Yeah, I hear you. That's the grocery store people, though. The Girl Scouts, I'm all for it. I'll buy every time. But some of these other dudes, ah, 
I mean, I'm clearly buying from the Girl Scouts every time. You don't need to do anything more than look at me and see that, that a box of Thin Mints or two are definitely coming home. Same. Thin Mints are my f- – Nat bought Girl Scout cookies the other day, like, right? No Thin Mints. Oh, what? Oh, come on, man. I'm sorry. Well, sorry, sorry doesn't put the delicious Thin Mints in my belly, does it, Nat? <laughs> in the freezer first and then the belly second. No kidding. The guy got to go in the freezer. Got to go in the freezer. <laughs> Fantastic. But, John, really good stuff, man. Uh, can't wait. It's gonna be, we didn't even get to, to Campbell and NC State, but you've already kind of teed up a lot of that at thebigspur.com and plenty more we know is coming this way this week. Uh, South Carolina will have a tough regional. Um, but uh, hopefully they can get out of it, and we'll see what happens from there. I'll be up later on this week, bud, so I'll give you a, give you a text and, and try to catch up with you sometime Friday or Saturday, okay? Campbell, power arms, great offense. NC State didn't win a series against a team in the NCAA tournament this year, uh, but there you go. They can, they can swing it a little bit, but I think they've struggled on the mound some. So, well, all right. Appreciate you guys having me. Good, Thanks, good scouting there at the end. Thanks, Whittle. Mm-hmm. And John Whittle is pretty good at what he does. He got in uh, two teams' full scouting reports in about six seconds before we let him <laughs> sign off the air here. <laughs> He's the pro. Inside the game, guys, the show. <laughs> All right. We are four minutes after the hour. Okay. Let's double up here, Phil. Yeah, that's what I figured we'd do. Double, double up. up here and head on into the second What'd hour. Yeah. Uh, JC, we do have... Uh, some football stuff to get into. Eight or nine games in the SEC. Mm. We could get a decision on that this week, by the way. They're in Destin. Yeah. Uh, Coach Tanner and is representing Sacramento down there alongside Chance Miller and others. Uh, so we'll see what comes of it. Also, big recruiting weekend coming up. You're going to hear that a lot. It's it's almost June, so get ready. Uh, so we'll let JC tee us up for that. And uh, anything that is on any of your agendas Please pass it along. Hang tight inside the Game Cox's show. We'll be right back. I don't know who you are. I don't know what you want. If you're looking for a karaoke partner, I can tell you, I can't carry a tune in a bucket. But what I do have is a very specific set of skills. Hang up now and your IT nightmares will continue. But stay on the line and I will find you. And when I find you, I will fix it. Um... Thanks. Uh, I think I have the wrong number. I'm trying to call Matt at Heritage Digital. He has a one-price, low-cost turnkey solution for all my IT needs, and I'm sick and tired of my IT guy. So, yeah, 843-699-1001. This is 1002. Oh, well, thanks anyway. Don't be taken by some IT dude that talks a big game. Give Matt at Heritage Digital a call, 843-699-1001. Golfers and wannabe golfers, former Gamecock golfer Meredith Taylor is now a full-time golf instructor in the Midlands of South Carolina. In-person golf lessons are held at the Country Club of Lexington. Half hour, hour, on course nine or 18 holes. And if you're outside of South Carolina, Meredith conducts virtual lessons. Just send in your golf swing for analysis. Gift cards are available for in-person one-hour lessons. Connect on Twitter at Mayor Taylor and find her online at McKellarEnterprises.org. Her email is on the website. Schedule your next lesson today with Meredith Taylor, former Gamecock golfer. <laughs> 
Hey, Gamecock fans, it's Evan Stowe from Gamecock Baseball. A couple of painters paint the show Garnet and Black every day and get the job done right at a fair cost. Go to LetMePaintSomething.com for information and an estimate. Go Cox. You heard Evan Stone, Gamecock fans, 10% off for military repeat customers or mention the show. Interior, exterior painting, fencing, cabinet staining, concrete painting, popcorn ceiling removal, and more. 803-522-6832. LetMePaintSomething.com. What's up, Gamecock fans? This is Pitcher Noah Hall. If you want some delicious food for your event, I suggest visiting nanasports.com today to find out what they all have to offer. It's really good southern cuisine based out of Charlotte, my hometown. I hope you guys go check it out. Go Cox and go Nanas. Are you looking to buy a new home? Kevin O'Connell with Union Home Mortgage is a local mortgage expert and Gamecocks fan servicing North and South Carolina. Whether you're buying a home, building your dream home with new construction, or turning your equity into cash, UHM's world-class service will ensure you find the perfect mortgage to achieve your home ownership goals. Call Kevin at 803-906-0244 or visit UHM.com today. Union Home Mortgage is an equal housing lender. NMLS 2229 LONMLS 1772182. Electric Bikes of Charleston offers the most fun you'll ever have on two wheels. The home of Oventon, Velotric, Magnum Bikes, and more, they sell to consumers all across the state and offer outstanding warranties and service after the sale. Their electric bikes are equipped with five levels of pedal assist plus a throttle so you can ride longer, handle the heat better, but still get great exercise. Bikes are available for all ages and sizes. Visit electricbikescharleston.com or stop into their store in Mount Pleasant if you're in the low country. Electric Bikes of Charleston, powering inside the Gamecocks, the show. Hey everyone, this is Jack Mahoney from Gamecock Baseball, and inside the Gamecocks, the show is teed up every day by travelingcountryclub.com. So if you all love golf, make sure you guys go check out their awesome membership options, and go Cox. Welcome to TravelingCountryClub.com, your modern golf club experience. Hey folks, this is Michael Manis, former Gamecock golfer, inviting you to play more golf with a membership to TravelingCountryClub.com. With over 40 courses across the Carolinas, our membership provides you with an affordable way to enjoy a club-like golf experience. From the mountains to the coast, we offer golf courses that will challenge all types of golfers, no matter your handicap level or level of play. Plus, we offer unique membership benefits not seen anywhere else as part of Traveling Country Club. In July, we're excited to bring to you the third annual Plunder on Polly's two-day golf tournament with rounds played at Caledonia and True Blue Golf Courses in the heart of Polly's Island. Head to TravelingCountryClub.com to register for that event. And it is not exclusive to TCC members, but to become one, you can sign up and bring to life your golf game. Tee it up with Traveling Country Club, TravelingCountryClub.com, TravelingCountryClub.com, proud partners of Inside the Gamecocks, the show. This is Zachary Davis from Carolina Hoops, and you're watching the show with JB, JC, and Phil. Go Cox. Welcome back in, everybody, inside the Gamecocks, the show. Second hour of the show coming in now. I was just sitting here looking at something completely got me off topic there. Uh, did we get Whittle's thoughts on who who should the starting pitcher be for game one? I know we discussed it a little bit, you know, about rotations, and if it is a set rotation, you're just going to go with what you had, but. I mean, he mentioned Eli. I, I think yeah. he's probably 
probably right. I, I'll say this, and I know we want to get to some football. We have a ton of baseball, by the way, coming this week, guys. We have uh, – uh, what's today? Tuesday? Uh, yeah. Tomorrow uh, we'll be joined by Landon Powell tomorrow, who will obviously talk about uh, his team in the World Series at the D2 level. But Landon also will give his thoughts on what he's seen from South Carolina. Uh, and uh, so excited to get Landon back on the show. So he's tomorrow. We got Coach Lake on Thursday, and um, I think we're, we've got Drew Meyer on Thursday as well. And uh, and also looking for or looking to fill up a couple other spots on Friday with a couple other special names that um, that you'll probably recognize as well. So we've got a ton of baseball to get to this week. But but to your point about pitching, this is. I don't. I'm not saying it's going to affect anything. It could. It could. It, but it might not. And how would it be effective? Uh, not a number of pitches thrown, but if it's just flat and he's just not very good, maybe just because he's worn down with the kid, the Nimmin kid, who's going to start against Carolina, Dominic Nimmin on uh, Friday night. You're talking about since May 18th, guys. This dude has thrown almost 350 pitches. Uh, and that's three starts. Two weeks. And, yeah, <laughs> not even two weeks. I mean, and that was within 10 days, the 18th, 25th, and 28th. And since the beginning of May, he's um, – since the beginning of May, May 5th, when he got his first start, he's thrown really almost 600 pitches this month. So you just – how does it affect a guy? You know, it doesn't mean he won't be able to go long. They're going to burn him if they need to burn him, and they'll – you know, if he's throwing well, he'll throw 130 pitches on Friday night. But uh, what I, well, I guess what I'm saying is, if he just doesn't have it and he's flat, that those are the things that teams like South Carolina can, you know, you you hang a, like a guy like Evan Stone, for instance. He, he he's an off speed guy. He, he doesn't hit a lot of hard fastballs. So you know, 80 80 mile an hour breaking ball that's just kind of hanging around up there. Teams like this, even with the struggles they've had. They're, they're going to hammer that. So let's just hope that uh, Friday night is a rough night for Dominic Nimmin. <laughs> yeah, but they got nothing to lose. Central Connecticut State, nothing to lose coming in. So no, we'll see. Absolutely. Yep, that's right. Uh, 76 asked uh, if we read uh, – so it wasn't – that wasn't um, – he asked if we've read uh, John Whittle's article on no hotels available for the Lexington Regional. Uh, it, it wasn't uh, – John's article, but John posted it. Uh, yeah, that's pretty crazy. So they've got the R- Railbird Festival up there this weekend, which is a music <laughs> festival. Uh, they do it every year. It's on the infield at the Red Mile. And um, Zach Bryan and Tyler Childers are headlining this thing. There's a bunch of other Whiskey Myers is up there and Nathaniel Ratliff and Cheryl Crow, Morgan Wade, a bunch of people. Yeah, so there have the – all of the, did y'all see that? I'm, I'm sure you, I'm sure y'all saw it on the, on the big spur. Yeah, no hotels. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're all staying in the dorms. The they're teams staying in the, dorms. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Staying in the dorms and getting charged ninety two fifty a night to do it. I, I didn't. Yeah. I thought, I mean, you'd think that the committee would maybe like say, okay, well, I mean, they, they take, they tell people they can't host cause their stadium's not big enough. Why, why, why would this be any different? Yeah, well, uh, you, you'd be talking about from a hotel standpoint? Yeah, I mean. If you can't do it, you can't do it. I mean, that would be that would, – I would, I would gripe about that if I were a team that I could host. Are you okay? 
you, you need to take a time out or you need to walk? <laughs> be okay. <laughs> Are you, is this I know, it kind of chokes me up too, not being able to <laughs> right. stay in a hotel and having to stay in a dorm. My God. Is it not fair that Kentucky's hosting and we don't have any hotels? And oh my God, the whole world's falling apart. I need a sucker and, 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 and a shot of tequila and, 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 and maybe a lollipop and then he has frozen custard. Ah! <laughs> hey, no. it's worth. I, I, I actually thought Kentucky was a little high as the 12 seed. But this committee really stuck to their RPI. Yeah, yeah. Campbell, of course. But um, I, I was, and I was also a little bit surprised that that Bama slipped in as the 16 and was three plots behind Auburn. I thought that that was a little um, that was interesting. Yeah, it was interesting. Auburn in there is the team with the fewest. Wins overall. Yeah, they did the same thing last year. It's amazing. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, you know, is what it is. They got hot. They get hot at the right time. So they flip a switch. Yeah, no uh, they yeah. ended up in Omaha last year. So uh, it's funny because well, well, that's the thing. Because you mentioned we just mentioned the RPI, JC. I mean, Alabama was eleventh in the RPI. Auburn's nineteenth. Mm-hmm. I mean, the metrics. I mean, Alabama. It didn't favor them in the. Strength of schedule and the non-conference strength of schedule, um, but you know they had. Uh, I don't know. It, it was really it came down to three things, right? Your RPI, your overall body of work, and what have you done for me lately? Essentially, hmm. and the what have you done for me lately seemed to have the least amount of impact the large majority of these seedings versus RPI in the total body of work, which those two can be 1A, 1B, right? Because they're kind of hooked at the hip. But, I mean, Auburn, I mean, South Carolina, what have you done for me lately? They didn't drop them out. Alabama was rolling hot. And, you know, they ended up barely getting in as a as a host seed. So I, I thought that was interesting. Yeah, I tend to agree. I think the only one that didn't that missed was Campbell. You know, it's probably the Absolutely. only two seed that that really has a leg to stand on, saying, you know, our body of work was better than somebody else's. No doubt. But beyond that, I mean, there you go. Southern Southern Miss had their chance, and then they yeah. got beat. Um, you know, they were they were in the thick of it. Boston, I mean, all these other teams. But I think through the end of the season, you're right, Phil, through the last game that you played in your conference tournament, I don't think there's anybody that had more of a case than Campbell who could literally raise their hand and say, we feel like we got shafted. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I doubt that the committee took into consideration their venue for that. I think they were going to play in Fayetteville. They yeah, were. They had already they settled that out to play in a, yeah, yeah, one of the yeah, well, I, parks. Yeah, I, mm-hmm. I'm. I almost wonder, and you can't prove it. Uh, and 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 I and I've said this as it pertains to South Carolina, but I mean it just in general because we met. We talked about it last week. If the best 16 teams are in the state of California, then they all deserve hosts. Mm-hmm. If the best 16 teams are in the Big Ten, then they all deserve to host. If the, it doesn't matter where it is. I I don't care. But I almost wonder if Campbell just really kind of got the short end of the stick because of geography. I mean, you're talking about 
Wake Forest. By the way, hats off to the state of South Carolina. I, I get it. None of us want to see Clemson hosting or Coastal for that matter. But tiny little old South Carolina got the most hosts sites in the country, which really is outstanding for this baseball state. But you're talking about in the southeast, you're talking about Wake, Florida, uh, Clemson, LSU, Arkansas, Vanderbilt, Virginia, Miami, Coastal, Kentucky, Auburn, South Carolina, Alabama. And I, and I just think that somebody was just going to get left out, and you sure as hell weren't going to. When, when, they, when they had determined they weren't leaving out South Carolina, um, it was going to be Campbell when you look at the rest of them. To award somebody else. Yeah, because you've already got so many regionals right there. I mean, Fayetteville to Myrtle Beach to Columbia to Columbus. It's kind of like a like little trip to Winston Salem. You, you could make it like a nice little square. You could go <laughs> I forty to ninety five over to the beach, back up to Columbia, up yeah. to Clemson, up eighty five to Winston Salem, back up. I mean, you know, uh, no no host sites. Am I correct in saying no host sites in the state of Texas this year? Yeah, for the first uh, time yeah, in a yeah. long time. Right. What, that's what, 10 years? That's amazing because yeah. that state is big baseball. I mean, it's mm-hmm. – people were talking today, somebody was like, there's no way six out of the eight teams in Omaha will be SEC teams. Well, uh, let me could tell be, you something. Could be seven. <laughs> yeah. Could be right. seven. Yeah. Could be seven. Uh, let me tell you something. Uh, uh, last year, if you include Texas and Oklahoma <laughs> – Six out of eight were SEC teams. Stanford was there and Notre Dame, and that was it. Uh, but I do think that had something to do with it when you're talking about not necessarily Campbell versus South Carolina, but more uh, Indiana State versus Campbell. Um, I, I think that it's like you look at it, uh, and, 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 and Beatty, Beatty makes a good point, being Beatty. I think a 92 strength of schedule, one and four against the top 25 was what got Campbell. Well, um, and there's I don't disagree with him. What 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 stuck out to me as to why Indiana State didn't deserve it? They were two and nine versus the quad one versus quad, and quad yeah. one opportunities, you know. And you, you flip it on Campbell, they went nine and five. Campbell uh, had a combined seven. There was seventeen and ten in quad one, quad two, and Indiana State was twelve uh, and thirteen uh, in in quad one, quad two opportunities. Twelve and thirteen. Versus seventeen and ten, and I, you know, I just, I, I get it. You That's know, a good point. you know, Campbell also had three quad four losses. You know, Indiana State just had one. I mean, there are like he, he's not wrong. His metrics are right. When you look at Indiana State, their strength of schedule was forty three. Their non con strength of schedule was five. You know, those are really valuable numbers. Their non conference RPI was fifteen. Campbell's non conference RPI was eight. Their non conference strength of schedule was thirteen. So those are really very comparable numbers. You can flip flop them. It, it um, probably came down to region. I mean, you're probably right about it. I yeah, mean, I just you, think you, that they – yeah, I think they utilize the numbers to try to justify the reasoning in this instance. I, I, that's yeah, just my personal feeling. Because you're like more – you're almost like more than 25% of your host sites are in the Carolinas alone. Right. Yeah, not, that's what I was going to say. Not baseball, just the southeast. They are. The damn Carolinas. But, yeah, yeah, 25% <laughs> of them already are. But that's not Base. unusual, though. No. I mean, remember God. when Clemson and Carolina used to always host? North Carolina would host, and yeah, NC State would host, seats. East Carolina would host. That's not unusual. No, baseball, barbecue, it, and D lineman. That's the three Bs and the Ds. Baseball, barbecue, beaches, and D lineman. That's what we do in the Carolinas. Yeah. <laughs> Woo! Because you've got what one, two, three, four, 
there are only four, five if you count Vanderbilt, I guess. No, you got you got to include Vanderbilt. Four host sites that aren't in the southeast. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's it. Right. Yeah, that's. I mean, you yeah. Know. I, I, I just, I, I, I can't prove that. You know, I, I just think that. I, I, I look, man. I've talked, I've talked to three people who have a better view on this than I do since this happened. Three people, and all of them are like, "Yeah, I'm not sure why yeah. <laughs> Indiana State got it over Campbell." For what it's worth. Yeah, it has to be region, and and I, and I get it because you still want a national tournament. I, I think disappointing thing to me is uh, the Pac-12. <laughs> I think we say that yeah. a lot when it comes to college sports <laughs> these days. Uh, there's no those baseball schools out there. Sure, they don't get the crowds, but they're all really the West Coast teams are good. I mean, from Washington down to San Diego State and over to Arizona, and they've been kind of like Pac-12 men's basketball to a certain extent, stuck in a rut. Uh, you know, normally you have at least two West Coast hosts, right? You just got one this year, and it's Stanford. But they're not setting the world on fire out there. I, so, I yeah, I, yeah, I could have made I mean, stretch. Could have made the legitimate argument that Stanford should not have been a top eight yeah. national team. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, who did, Arizona? Who, who'd they beat? I mean. Yeah, they beat some good teams. I'm not saying they didn't beat some good teams, but I, I mean, and versus who, right? Like, who who would they have conceded that top eight seed to? You know, would it be Miami? Um, you know, I don't know, but I mean, they did. Okay, so you go back to March. They swept Oregon State, which which is which is fantastic. Um, you know, that's a that's a <clears throat> quad one sweep at home. Um. Yeah, I mean Bueller. I, I you, you mentioned Arizona State. That's quad two now. Uh, Arizona yeah, is squeaking just, in as a quad one and win. But. They just weren't very good. I mean, the, the Pac-12 top to bottom wasn't very good by the metrics. And when I, they I went one and two they, in the tournament, they, I don't know whether they need to schedule better or out of conference or, or what the deal is. But that league has not been what it has been. Uh, what it was maybe the middle part of the decade, where it was either a Pac-12 or an SEC team most years would win the tournament with the occasional Virginia sneaking in there, right? Uh, I don't know what's happened to West Coast baseball. Maybe it's like the same – maybe it's just like uh, football, basketball. Maybe those kids are coming east to play now. I don't know. I think it's a – I think the Pac-12 obviously as a league has a lot more to worry about than its baseball uh, performance. But, uh, yeah, that league's just down. I mean, Texas is down. Uh, the Big 12 arguably is not. Is there a single Big 12 host, guys? Oklahoma Big State. 12, no. Oklahoma, Oklahoma State's State. the only one. Yeah, yeah, only one. Yeah, they're Oklahoma good. State's By the way, have you seen what David Mendham's been doing for them the last couple of years? <sighs> Wasn't good enough to hit here for some reason, but he was good enough to hit in Stillwater. <laughs> I remember Mendham, man. When he got a hold of one, boy, it would go. Well, it's, he, I, you know, he, he struggled Canadian offensively. Lumberjack. But when he walked out there with the shades and the wraps, and he he looked like he could play. Well, he's playing fine. I mean, he's he's, Big he's old having a nice year. Ginger Canadian slugger A. Pop. Yeah, it's this all a boot. Gonna put it over the fence, A. <laughs> yeah. yeah, good for him. I mean, there's a there's there's several former Gamecocks that aren't doing bad in their in their new. 
no. homes, right? Exactly. Mm. Yeah. To a T. Um, it's twelve twenty six. I tell you what, let's uh, step aside for a break, and then when we re- return, uh, JC, we will uh, shift gears in the scheduling. I know we've got some recruiting stuff to get to as well, um, but we'll shift gears into football because we we could technically have a new scheduling format announced in the next 72 hours out of Destin, Florida. And um, I have a personal preference. I'm sure everybody else does as well. So we'll make sure we tee that up right here on Inside the Gamecocks, the show that it is, by the way, teed up by TravelingCountryClub.com. If you're in the upstate of South Carolina and are in need of residential real estate services, Cindy Bass, Searfoss of Caldwell Banker Kane is for you. Ask her about the village at Creekside, all of her listings in my hometown of Spartanburg, South Carolina, right there on Daniel Morgan Avenue, married to a lifelong Gamecock fan. And many of our listeners have already bought homes from her and been 100% satisfied with the detail and care she uses. Cindy Searfoss, 864 864- 414-5271, Caldwell Banker Kane in the upstate for your real estate needs. Cool Joe here, and when I'm not eating average jambalaya or celebrating endless summer in Destin, I like to eat pimento cheese straight off the bucket. Mmm, and the only pimento cheese I like to eat is from Nana's Porch. It's award-winning, it'll melt in your mouth, it's good on a cracker, it's good in a bowl, it's good on a piece of bread. Also, don't forget Nana's Porch has a hell of a food truck. It's award-winning as well, and they're here for all of your catering needs. So get online, nanasports.com. It's mm-mm good. Coach O, signing off. End of summer, go Tiger. The preferred sign partner of Gamecock Athletics is Signorama Columbia, and they should be yours too. A full-service sign company that handles design, production, install, and service, Signorama Columbia has helped to bring to life the perfect vision for so many all across South Carolina. Owned and operated by proud Gamecock alumni, they can handle all types of signage, including interior and exterior, vehicle graphics, and more. Go to Signorama.com and find the West Columbia location or call them at 803-407-9284. Bring your brand to life with Signorama. Columbia and go game Pops. Hey man, are you sick and tired of your business computer guy? Yes, he takes forever to call me back and doesn't always respond to the requests. Yeah, same here. I'm paying him good money. I constantly have issues and I'm worried he's not backing up my network and securing it properly. You know what, Phil? Let's ask Stone Blanton. Hey JC and Phil, if you want a solution to your IT problems, give Heritage Digital a call. Our boy Matt Odom has a low-cost, one-price solution that will get you running right. Call 843-699-1001 or heritagedigital.com and ask for Matt. He will hook you up today and tell them Stone City. This is Coleman from the Yardcocks. Electric Bikes of Charleston powers inside the Gamecocks, the show. Be sure to check them out online or in Mount Pleasant. Go Gamecocks. Welcome back, everybody, inside the Gamecocks, the show. Second segment of the second hour, shifting to football here. But, yeah, is there any reason why this this, this scheduled discussion should go any farther than these meetings in Destin? Jason, what's the latest? Are they leaning eight or nine? 
Ah, well, it was nine for a while, and then it was eight. I mean, look, if it were as simple as nine, it would be solved by now. Um, and a lot of folks, I know Andy Staples, who I actually have a lot of respect for and like a lot. He's been sort of adamant that nine's the way to go. Um, I guess if you look at it from a product standpoint and a, man, what are we going to do every Saturday standpoint? It's big game after big game at entertainment standpoint, which is what it is. It's what brings up the dollars is nine's probably right. I think uh, what's happened is when, when you look at the teams that certain teams got as far as three permanent opponents, um, Nick Saban's not too happy about that. And if you also look at Alabama and Georgia and how those guys have scheduled in advance, I mean, man, there's one year Georgia plays Georgia Tech, Clemson, and I think Notre Dame all in the same season. There's one year Alabama opens back-to-back at Ohio State and then Notre Dame comes to Tuscaloosa, or maybe it's maybe it's South Bend and then Ohio State comes in. You know, they've done a good job beefing up the non-conference. So you got another conference there. You know, something's got to give. Uh, and I think, too, with the way the committee is picking teams now without any sort of, like, computer metric or formula or, or like, math, like like an AI kind of uh, assist with it. It's just the, it's just the good old it's – it's basically the good old boy system. This is the eyeball test. And you look at all the folks on those commi- – on the playoff committee, man – you got some old school thinkers on there and there's nothing wrong with that, but they're all old school thinkers. So if you're the SEC, you know, you got to really think about it. You're going to run into a situation where yes, uh, you have a three loss team and they're the team's three losses have been close into three damn good teams, but they're not getting in over 11, one ACC team because that's just not what the committee does. They still, it's still the old school BCS, pre-BCS, my poll mindset where, okay, uh, you know, one loss is, you know, you can survive one loss. It's better to have no losses. Uh, but two is stretching it and three makes you out. And and, and you wait, it'll happen. There'll be a, a, a team that's, you know, in the SEC that gets a bad draw, you know, that wins all their games and loses to like Alabama, the conference champ, Georgia, the team that plays them in the conference championship game, and LSU, who'd only lost one game all year. Uh, and then they've sit there, this team's going to sit there at three losses and then beating the crap out of everybody else. And they're not getting in over, you know, Johnny McSlap, but, or, or nuts, or whatever you want to call it. They, they played two, two good teams all year and beat up on everybody else. Oh, but they're 11 and one. So they're they going to get in. their business. <laughs> yeah. yeah so, so I think that's even the, you know, the big tens even kind of kicking the can around about going back to eight. Uh, I don't see any reason to, to go, to go to nine, you know, just because everybody else is doing it other than money and value and all that, you know, all that said too, uh, the argument for obviously is money and value and all that good stuff. A three, six, six model, means and this means something in the SEC you know it just means more it means okay so you're not going to have to not play Bama and Tennessee every year and and skip every other year uh Texas and Texas A&M which I contend is their own damn fault uh I think Texas and Texas A&M should play non-conference games if they're not going to play if it's not going to be a conference game uh I think that's their fault I think they've robbed their fans and the you know, a, a, a decade's worth of Aggies and Longhorns worth of great memories because of the pettiness that has existed there. Now that they're both in the same league, shut up and play. 
Uh, but still, in a 1-7, you know, you're not – Texas and Oklahoma is such a big game TV-wise, a big draw TV-wise. So is Georgia and Florida. You're not sacrificing those games. Those games are staying. So A&M will have to play LSU, and, and, and Texas will probably play – you know, Texas will play Oklahoma or whatever. So, you know, that solves that problem because you, you, if you have three permanents, you're not really ever getting into a situation where – Oh man, you know, Auburn can't play Georgia this year or something like that. And that's the, one of the longest running games in the South consecutively. Uh, so I understand that. Um, I say, uh, you know, I, but, but I do say this, beware <laughs> of, because you get to nine and the records still matter. Now maybe we'll be in a time in five years where the 12 team playoffs been here for a while. Heck, maybe it's a, maybe it's a 24 team. Uh, mega conference playoff with an AFC and NFC style. College football is evolving so fast uh, with a lot of the formatting and conferences that that maybe it, it makes sense to play. Maybe hell, maybe it makes sense to play ten then. But with the way the committee's structured now, they they've given no sides. Even the, 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 this is just the same old bunch that's going to pick the twelve as opposed to the four. Okay, they just going to pick the twelve. You know they have proven by letting teams like Notre Dame into the playoff. You know, when they didn't, you know, strength of schedule wasn't up to some of these other teams that had maybe more losses. Um, they've proven that that's how they're formulating this whole thing. Now you got you got six, five, six automatic bids, and then you got the next six. And so they're picking the next six. And, and I'm going to tell you, there's going to be a time where an SEC team, through no fault of their own, that, that absolutely is one of the 12 best teams in the country, probably a top eight team in the country. But because of the scheduling, they're going to get left out. And that's what you got to be careful of. Now, what do I think is going to happen? I think we're trending toward the biggest BS answer of them all, which is a temporary agreement. I hate temporary agreements. Because last time there was a temporary agreement, South Carolina got completely screwed. And they did it for two years. They're talking about doing it for one year now, which is makes no sense. The new playoff contract kicks in in 2026. Why not do it for 2024, 2025, and then, okay, let's reevaluate if you want to do it that way. Because um, the playoff is expanding, but it's expanding at the end of the present TV deal, okay? Um, and so it's expanding. And so you got you, you, expansion will happen, Texas, Oklahoma, in the league, 2025. And then in 26, we may have three different networks televising the college football playoff like in the NFL. So, so you know, what I don't understand is – all right, we're doing it for one year, and then we're going to see how it goes. You know, and then they're going to keep Texas and Texas A&M together and Alabama and Tennessee together. And sometimes when that happens, man, South Carolina gets royally screwed, and a lot of other teams do too. I'll take you back to 2012. Okay? I think the Gamecocks were supposed to play ooh, Ole Miss. Yeah, because it goes Auburn and then Ole Miss. Ole Miss wasn't very good that year. Uh, as their rotating SEC West opponent, supposed to be Ole Miss, right? <laughs> and guess what? It wasn't Ole Miss. It was LSU. LSU. <laughs> and and so Carolina that year with probably the best team Steve Spurrier had at South Carolina, and we've seen that. We so saw what that team could do on a good day when it was capable, right? Uh, against Georgia, they had to play a top five Georgia team at home. They had to go to Death Valley in Baton Rouge and play, and then turn around and play in the swamp the next week. That's a that's probably one of the toughest three game back to back to back situations the Gamecocks have ever had. Okay, 
not to mention the following year, and they survived this to a certain extent, the following year at Arkansas. Now they beat Arkansas's butt pretty good, 52-7 to that season. At Tennessee, oops, lost that one, cost them a national championship berth maybe. Uh, and then, oh, at top five Missouri, which they won in double over, triple overtime or whatever with an amazing comeback by Connor Shaw. Was that fair? No, it wasn't fair. <laughs> Meanwhile, I think in, uh, in 2011 and 2012, it just so happened 2011, Georgia, luck of the draw, right? Carolina shouldn't have lost home to Auburn that year, period, right? Georgia. But in 2012, Georgia got, you know, taken to the woodshed by the Gamecocks. To the woodshed, right? But because their schedule, they got to play Ole Miss that year, right? <laughs> because their schedule was hunky-dory. All they had to do was, oh, hang a loss on Will Muschamp in the Florida-Georgia game, which happened, you know, I think three out of the four times he played, faced his alma mater there. Uh, and, and they were 11-1 and one and, and got the got the berth in the SEC championship game. Uh, those, those years were scheduling related, you know? And, and so that would be – that and then it, but then it, it, it evened itself out. People bitch about A and M being the permanent opponent. At the time, it was a no brainer to take A and M instead of LSU because that's what was going to happen. It wasn't going to be Arkansas. It was going to be LSU because uh, LSU didn't want to have to play Florida every day. Give us South Carolina, and then Florida could take Texas A and M. And no, 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 no. And Eric Hyman stopped it. And Ray Tanner stopped it, and all that. So I think that uh, you know. It worked itself out, but those two years, man, I mean, regardless, the South Carolina went 22 and four those two seasons, but the schedule was not pretty and not favorable either year. And I think any sort of temporary thing lends itself to some of this immediacy bias. In other words, well, who, we'll say, well, who can we, you know, who needs a little help with the schedule next year, stuff like that. Uh, and I don't like it at all, but that's the plan is that they're, that right now they're like, we're going to go with the eight short term, but we're going to keep all the rivalries. And I just think it's going to screw somebody may not be Carolina. I just think it's going to screw somebody because of the temporary nature of things. Um, You know, I thought the pandemic year schedule was pretty fair to a certain extent to some teams. Uh, I think Carolina's was perfectly fair, but I think some teams got completely screwed, you know, and yet again, like another temporary fly by night. He, he, let's see what we can do type of thing. So that, that's the one option I'm like completely against. I would prefer eight and the one seven because I think the one seven would be wild because you're, you're, you're flipping, you're flipping almost your whole schedule every year. You're flipping nine games every single year, which is awesome. Gives us more variety, uh, year to year. That matters a lot who you play. Uh, that kind of thing. I, I wouldn't mind. I, I would. I would probably like one seven just because I'm kind of a, a masochist in a certain extent. I'd like to see you know chaos and stuff. I'd be a villain in a comic book if I were in there. But I'm fine with three six. You know, Carolina's not going to play Georgia probably either way every year. In case you guys were wondering if you to salvage the border battle, that's probably not going to happen. Just because Georgia has too many, they have too many rivals. But I think that. Uh, this temporary thing to me just kicks the can down the road uh, and it's going to cost some team, maybe not South Carolina, but it will cost some team uh, it's, it's cost a team to have a worse year than they should have based on this last minute blow up the schedule and start all over. Because I, I think the SEC is fine with long-term plans. I think short-term wise when they have to scramble, uh, I, I think there's some recency bias that creeps in and things like that. 
Hmm. Well, I mean, the short term would only be one year, right? Because the playoff starts next year in 24. So you would have just one more year of doing it the way that – well, not doing it, the, playing the same number of games that they've been playing. So they would just go to a 1-7 model for 2024 and then reevaluate around this time next year for 25 and after? It wouldn't be a one seven. It would be a. It would just be an eight. They would just give everybody eight games. Yeah, but I mean, I how understand. would they do that though? That well, because they would just they would. Well, the first thing that would happen is okay. So you got Texas. So here's Texas. Who's here's who? Who's Texas going to play? Because um, the divisions are gone regardless. There's no divisions. So Texas is going to play Oklahoma. They're going to play Texas A&M. They're going to play Arkansas. And then you fill them out with five. Who's Georgia going to play? Georgia's going to play Florida. They're going to play Auburn. Probably going to play Tennessee. Uh, in this scenario, they may play the Gamecocks. Who's Tennessee going to play? Well, they're going to play Vanderbilt. They're going to play Alabama. Who's Alabama going to play? Well, they're going to play LSU. They're going to play Auburn. They're going to play Tennessee. Uh, you know, Florida, Georgia. You know, it goes on down the line, and then you just kind of fill it all out. I mean, which to me, but, but I, I, know, I just don't know what, what are they achieving? Like, what what's the point of this? Well, with, yeah, with a one year thing, I don't think they're achieving anything. Uh, you know, what what it was explained in the article I read was that they're doing it to give ESPN more time to get their crap together so ESPN could come and pay for a nine-game schedule. Because that's the thing. Okay. Disney so and ESPN are losing money. Yeah. Money deal. That's what it is. And a lot of folks – It has nothing to do with scheduling. So. No, a lot, of, a lot of folks – right. Well, I'll say this. Schools like Kentucky are, are not against this, the nine games, because of money. They're against it because, you know, they got their, their own little fiefdom and formula that's worked for their football program, and that's out what? the window. Here's the question for us. What is best for South Carolina? I think eight. Yeah, one seven so, probably. Yeah. Because you got Clemson. I think I think I like I like the chances better of of, of jingling, you know jiggling it up, drawing seven teams, seven and seven, and then you play Kentucky every year and Clemson. And I think it's good for Carolina's fans to to take a road trip to Coral Gables. Well, it's not Coral Gables, actually. It's wherever Land Shark or whatever they're calling their stadium is now in Miami. I think it's good to go to, to Raleigh. I think it's good to go to Chapel Hill. I think those are pretty fun road trips. And um, you know, I don't know that all of those will remain intact if this happens. Some will. Uh, I can tell you right now, they're not going to not play Virginia Tech in Atlanta in 2025. Right. Uh, they've They've been beating down the door to get in that game for 30 years. I mean, they're not going to mess Mercedes Benz up. But uh, I think it's good. And I think that, you know, with Clemson being as they are, uh, you know, and, and they're sure they're, they're down from their national championship games, but they're still one of the better programs in the country. I mean, it, it gets it gets too dicey when you play because you, you don't know who those six are going to be in a given year. I think, I think I'll take my chances with seven because there's more of a chance you'll get a team you feel good about beating, um, and uh, and you go from there. I think it gets too difficult. I think eight is best for South Carolina, but I don't think it's South Carolina's case that not like Kentucky. I know why. I know why because this ruins their their bowl every year, right? South Carolina, the goal is not just to get to a bowl every year; it's to compete for championships. And so I, I don't think it's as much of a detriment to the Gamecocks as maybe it is to some other programs that are you know, just happy getting to Memphis or Nashville every year. So how about as it pertains to seeding, because you'll go to the 12, and then we know that there are – we know how they're doing you got six at large versus championships. Is there 
I'm like, we just saw with baseball how important the RPI was. So, you know what I mean? Like, we don't have that in football. We did. It was called the BCS, but we don't have that anymore. Now we have a committee. So it almost seems like if you want to evaluate properly one win versus two wins, or I'm sorry, one win versus two loss, one loss versus two losses, or maybe, maybe two losses versus three losses. So, like, say LSU loses to a top 10 Texas team, a top five Alabama team, and number one Georgia in the same year, but they beat the crap out of everybody else and they finish year nine and three. There's no way that, you know, a 11 and one uh, Oregon State by going through the Pac-12, which was the fifth best league, should be able to get in just because they went 11-1 versus a 9-3 LSU. So, like, you – but that uh, – That's I'm happening. Speaking, that's going to happen, though. That's what I'm saying. I'm speaking I'm speaking the solution into existence, but it's it doesn't actually really exist. Like, there is no crossover of committee and computer like we have, for instance, in, say, baseball or basketball even. No, and what's going to be even worse is that 11-1, and one, you know, Pac-12 team – Let's say that one loss comes, you know, in the championship. And so you're going to have to give the automatic berth to the Southern Cal, if you will. And then the other one's mm-hmm. going to get in over, you know, just because they didn't lose two losses. more games. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. absolutely asinine. And, and we know what's going to happen. We've seen it happen. <laughs> well, and this is the only league that that will really even be possible yeah. of happening in because it has the sure. most teams every year that are in the top five, top 10, top 20. Yeah, that, that, and that's the risk you run too. Is is with with all that, and so I, I, you know, I, and I wrote a piece about it on the Big Spur. I was like, you know, South Carolina. What they, what the game guys just need to do is, you know, keep recruiting and winning games. I mean, uh, and you know, even going abolishing the divisions seems kind of tough on the surface, but if you look at the standings this past year, here's here's some facts. I'm gonna spit some facts at you, folks. Right. <laughs> South Carolina finished tied for fifth overall in the league with Mississippi and Mississippi State. Okay, that's A. B, three of South Carolina's four SEC losses came to teams that finished with this record, six and seven, seven and six, and six and seven. Mm -hmm. So uh, if you're South Carolina, it's like, all right, Maybe quit losing to these these five hundred teams <laughs> and uh, and take your chances because Gamecocks the Gamecocks win those three, they're in the college football playoff. Maybe I mean an eleven and one Gamecock team whose only loss was to Georgia, as bad as it was, because they were talking about Oregon getting to go. Eleven and one Gamecock team whose only loss was to to to, uh, to Georgia. Um, yeah, I personally kind of think they. They probably get in ahead of a, a two-loss non-conference champion, or oh, sorry, a one-loss non-conference champion TCU. Maybe not, but they were going to put Tennessee in over TCU, weren't they? Because they lost to the Gamecocks. Yep. Yep. No doubt. So, I, you know, so so that's the kind of thing South Carolina needs to focus on: keep winning games, keep building your program, keep recruiting, uh, and, and it's not a. All this expansion stuff, more conversation. It's not a death sentence. It, it's not. It, if it were a death sentence, then you know Carolina would be going on like thirty-two years of bad, bad, awful football in the SEC, and 
Uh, quite frankly, even though this last decade was a little bit of a dip, it, it, it's been pretty good since 2000. So that, that's what the Gamecocks need to do. Now, are there certain scenarios that are better? Yeah, eight's better than nine to me. But uh, I don't know that. Uh, I don't know that all this, as opposed to Kentucky, who, you know, their streak of trips to the Music City Bowl may come to an end. Unfortunately, oh, uh, you know that. Uh, you know, let me uh, see. I'm not making any friends up there. Yeah, not even <laughs> Vanderbilt's complaining about this, but Vanderbilt's probably just like, hey, yeah, we can use the extra SEC home game because we make money. Yeah, that way it's more money. Yeah. Let's always bring a crowd from Auburn. Let's let's put them on the schedule. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> what time's kickoff? What time can you get here? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah, we want to play all uh, the big name teams that travel well. That way, everybody our stadium can, looks full. Cool. Nice this time oh, yeah. of year, you know. But no, it's uh. But, but I think, you know, I think he's got to wait and see. But it, it's a, it is an interesting conversation, and I'm looking forward to seeing, like, what exactly the solution is. Unfortunately, I think it will end up being some kind of temporary Band-Aid BS, and uh, I don't know that that serves anybody or, or whatever. In the current setup for the first 12-team playoff, who who's the sixth automatic bid? It's the top six conference champions, and it includes right. group of five. So I was going to say, so you, it's like yeah, that yeah. last one will probably be a. It'll probably be more than likely always, power always five. A group of, there's yeah, a chance to have it'll be five. the top group of five. Now there's a chance you get two group of fives. Let's say sure. yeah. there's an upset, like well, like like especially the Pac-12 losing Southern Cal. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Pittsburgh upsets uh, Clemson in the ACC title game. Well, Clemson's not a top six champion, but Pitt may not be in the top six either. So then a yeah. Boise state and a coastal can get in. You know, that yeah, kind of thing. exactly. Or UCF or something like last year, Tulane. All right. Let's uh, hit our final time out of the afternoon. When we get back, JC, you can uh, read us the list for the weekend and a quick note on kickoff times as well. Hang tight. Teed up by traveling country club.com and built by the barn dominium co inside the game. Cox will be right back. Being back in the pool and boat are quickly approaching. Many of us don't have the time to hit the gym, but Charleston Fitness Equipment can change that for you. Outfit your home with a treadmill, elliptical, or my favorite, a home rower that allows you to row with the pros all over the world. They have free weights, home gyms, flooring, and much more that makes keeping or getting in shape much more convenient. Located in Mount Pleasant, visit charlestonfitnessequipment.com for more. Get in shape like our Gamecocks. Charleston Fitness Equipment, proud partners of Inside the Gamecocks, the show. Are you looking to buy a new home? Kevin O'Connell with Union Home Mortgage is a local mortgage expert and Gamecocks fan servicing North and South Carolina. Whether you're buying a home, building your dream home with new construction, or turning your equity into cash, UHM's world-class service will ensure you find the perfect mortgage to achieve your home ownership goals. Call Kevin at 803-906-0244 or visit UHM.com today. Union Home Mortgage is an equal housing lender. NMLS 2229 LONMLS 1772182 Daddy, I want you to take me to Disney World. Calm down, calm down. JC is here. As y'all know, folks, the family and I have visited Disney World many times, but it can be overwhelming, especially if it's your first time going to the most magical place on earth. I highly recommend wherethisroadleads.com and my friend Cherie. 
a certified Disney vacation planner. That's right. The mouse has given her permission to book your family vacation hassle-free. You don't know where to go, don't know where to stay, don't know where to eat, don't know what to do. It can be overwhelming. So get on wherethisroadleads.com and schedule your free consultation right now. She can help you out. The prices are very reasonable. You don't pay any extra fees. Uh, in fact, she's much more reasonable maybe than booking it straight through Disney. So for your next Disney vacation, or you know, more likely your first, so you don't panic, go to wherethisroadleads.com and talk to Cherie, certified Disney vacation. This is Braylon Wimmer, South Carolina Gamecock Baseball, and you are listening to Inside Gamecocks, the show. Go Cox! Welcome back, everybody, inside the Gamecocks, the show. Yeah, we did get the horror snuck back in there, apparently. <laughs> I clicked the wrong video, but that's all right. <laughs> Bring back some good old memories for some of y'all. <laughs> the horror. Uh, I think people may have missed that commercial a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So you had some more kickoff times, buddy. Oh, yeah, well, should have those tomorrow. Uh, uh, should have those tomorrow, uh, possibly in the morning before we hop on the air. If not, probably mid-afternoon. And um, so tomorrow you can start uh, to begin planning whether you will or won't attend weddings, funerals, and everything in between uh, with uh, weeks one, two, and three officially out. So uh, we'll, we'll certainly... If we've got it, by the time we get on the air, we'll get into it. If not, then, of course, that'll be a part of our conversation on Thursday. Also part of our conversation tomorrow will be Landon Powell, Stuart Lake, and Drew Meyer will be joining us on Thursday uh, ahead of this week's regional at uh, South Carolina. Gamecocks hosting once again. Uh, Also, though, this weekend, that is not the only facility on campus that will be hosting. JC, Gamecock football has a few guys headed their way as well. Yeah, it's a it's a nice uh, group of visitors. A lot of them out of state guys, or all of them are out of state guys, and uh, a lot of them are kind of from all over the place. I call it a grab bag this weekend because uh, there's six guys officially visiting. Uh, I think Carolina's probably in pretty good shape as far as like the perceived leader with two. Um, but then there's some other guys that can go either way. I mean. Uh, I'll go lowest ranked to highest ranked. Chase Johnson is a player out of Sanford Seminole down near Orlando that Torian Gray's been scouting. And, you know, people always kind of wonder, you know, where is the Torian Gray guy that he evaluates from out of state and just brings in and, you know, goes and finds because he's really good at it. And I think this is the kid he'll put on our message board the other day. This is what a South Carolina corner looks like. Uh, 6'1", 180, impressive film. Gamecocks are probably his best offer right now. A uh, really good ball player out of the state of Florida, Central Florida uh, area. Uh, he'll be officially visiting. I think Gamecocks are in good shape with him and the Nas White, six foot four, three hundred ten pound defensive tackle uh, from Robinson High School in Concord, North Carolina. This appears to be a Gamecocks Virginia Tech battle at this point. So here's the other four: Kai Sanders uh, from Bergen Catholic in Orderdale, New Jersey. That's Bergen Catholic and John Bosco are kind of the Don. Sorry, John Bosco. Don Bosco are kind of the two, uh, I guess, new big time New Jersey schools. Uh, I believe Tanner McAvoy went to Bergen. 
uh, 6-1-175, hard-hitting safety. Rutgers has been a big factor early, but he's also got Penn State. Uh, Wisconsin is a team that's in it for him. Uh, he's just one of those, like, I'll know more about where the Gamecocks really stand for him. Uh, I've heard good things behind the scenes, but I'll know more about where they really stand after the visit. Braylon Russell, four-star running back out of Benton, Arkansas. As long as Dowell Loggins is at Carolina, he's going to recruit the state of Arkansas. There's only eight or ten guys in that state every cycle, but – if you can pick off one here and there, more power to you. Russell, 6'2", 230, a different type of bigger running back. Um, Arkansas is the perceived favorite, but he did have a fantastic visit to Tennessee. Uh, so he seems somewhat open. Gamecocks will shoot their shot. Parker Livingstone is another player the Gamecocks seem to be battling Arkansas for. Arkansas is the only pick on the crystal ball for him. He's 6'3", 190. Uh, from Lucas, Texas, Lovejoy High School. Uh, he's one of those players out in Texas. Justin Stepp has his eye on. I really like Parker. I think he's got good hands. He's fast. Reminds me a little of Chris Doring that played for the Florida Gators under Steve Spurrier back in Ooh. the day. Um, and then uh, the, the, I guess the, the highest rated guy is from one of my favorite uh, county names in the state of Georgia, Schley County. See, so Schleying it, right? Uh, Jalua Solomon, 6'1", 185. He can play receiver. He can play corner. He can play safety. Wherever you want him to play, he can slay it at that spot. Uh, the number 186 overall player in the country. Game guys, though, are behind right here uh, with Florida State. Florida State obviously is really good in South Georgia because of proximity to Tallahassee. Their brand is starting to come back. Um, could be a tough pull, but, you know, the Gamecocks have been right there. It's perceived to be a Gamecocks versus Knowles situation for him. Um, and so, you know, you got guys from all over, from New Jersey to Florida to Georgia to Texas to Arkansas coming in this weekend. Like I said, this particular week is sort of a grab bag uh, of things because you have so many guys from so many different places. Um, you know, you're not going to bat as high a percentage on this type of group as maybe you will uh, at, at one where it's uh, a little bit more close to home and a little bit more guys coming in that you know going in have the Gamecocks on top. So, that's the long and short of it. We'll talk more of it about that, obviously, for the rest of this week. Uh, but it is a good group coming in, good group coming in on the 9th. There's no visitors on the 16th, and the 23rd is absolutely massive. So it's going to be a big recruiting uh, month uh, for football for the Gamecocks. The last two years, they've more than cleaned up. And fantastic. Yep. Not not quite June. Yep. Twenty four hours. Thirty six hours. Maybe June is soon enough. That's yeah. right. We've got commitment watch on Thursday. For the whole month. Control, I, I have to go read up on the Cade Renfro scandal. I haven't read on that. So we'll talk about it tomorrow. Remind me, because I'll I'll give I'll, I'll read up on it and give you my opinion. Special thanks to John Whittle for joining us today. It is regional week. Postseason baseball back at Founders Park, right where it belongs. We got you covered all week, and we're beyond excited to watch the Gamecocks play. If you haven't bought your tickets and you're in the Gamecock Club, uh, you might want to go ahead and log into your account to purchase a regional booklet. They're only ninety eight dollars. That's a that's a good price uh, for if you just love watching baseball and you're looking forward to maybe taking your family out there. That's a that's a great way to do it all weekend long. Uh, so head to your, if you're in the Gamecock Club, you can do it right now. If not, then uh, you'll have to wait for single game tickets to be on sale later on tomorrow. 
afternoon. Uh, season ticket holders, Gamecock Club members, right now have first access to postseason baseball in Columbia. For Phil and JC, I'm JB. I won't land in Powell tomorrow. We're back at 11 on Inside the Gamecocks, the show from the Sinorama Studios. <laughs>